Before we begin our Torah study this morning, can we pray together? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk today about hospitality and spirituality and the connection between hospitality and the life of faith, the important connections for us. This will be a first in a series of messages. And, and we want to focus on this because it's very important for Messianic Jewish congregations. It's important for us as individuals and as families. It's important as well when we're celebrating holidays and, and other celebrations. And it's important for our ministries to help us have a clear understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing. And during this series, I wanna focus on several things, a survey of hospitality from the scriptures, and, and then a second part that will look at hospitality in connection with Passover. And at that time, we'll also look at hospitality as it connects to the everyday life of our congregation and the details of, of how we show hospitality and how we accomplish it uh, as a congregation. I think it'll be very interesting to you and it will be, I, th I believe, a very useful and, and powerful study. Let's start by turning to Exodus chapter 12, which was our special reading for today. It's a Passover-based reading. And I want to look at Exodus 12, verse 14. It says, this will be a day for you to remember and to celebrate as a festival to Adonai from generation to generation. You're to celebrate it by a perpetual regulation. For seven days, you are to eat matzah. Very important part. Eat matzah. Say that with me. Eat matzah. People often ask me, how much matzah? The answer is, lots of matzah. That's right. Eat matzah. On the first day, remove the leaven from your houses for whoever eats chametz, uh, leavened food, from the first to the seventh day is cut off from Israel. On the first and seventh days, you're to have an assembly set aside for God. On these days, no work is to be done except what each must do to prepare his food you may do just that. You are to observe the festival of matzah, for on this very day I brought your divisions out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you are to observe this day from generation to generation by a perpetual regulation. From the evening of the 14th day of the first month until the evening of the 21st day, you are to eat matzah. During those seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. Whoever eats food with chametz in it is to be cut off from the community of Israel. It doesn't matter whether he's a foreigner or a citizen of Israel. Eat nothing with chametz in it. Wherever you live, eat matzah. Wherever, say that with me. Wherever you live, eat matzah. Eat matzah, don't eat chametz. Remove chametz from your house. And um, the, the Bible combines two aspects of holiday celebration, Pesach, 
which has to do with the, the lamb that, that was um, sacrificed and then the blood was put on the doorposts, and then matzah, and together they combine into the modern holiday of Passover. In fact, they combined much earlier. We think of them as one holiday, but it's important to eat matzah. And I remember as a Jewish kid growing up in, in Virginia, in Southwest Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley, there weren't that many Jews in our city, but we lived the Jewish life and for uh, Passover, I always brought special sandwiches made with matzah. Yeah, and one of the things I liked was, this, this may sound funny, but kosher bologna, yeah, Hebrew national bologna, sliced thin and then put on matzah, two sheets of matzah with kosher bologna or salami in between, and then wrapped in um, saran wrap, and I would put that in my lunch bag, hoping that by the time it was lunchtime, that matzah softened a bit. <laughs> yeah, that was like my strategy. <laughs> and I, I think the, in, the entire time growing up, I either ate matzah bologna sandwiches for lunch at school or matzah with peanut butter and jelly. And I know some Ashkenazim do not think you should eat peanuts um, for their reasons. Sephardim do eat peanuts, and I in particular do eat peanuts. Uh, so those were my two sandwiches. And every year my friends would take notice that this little Jewish boy is eating matzah again. Every day, matzah sandwiches. And that's just the way it was. And we didn't try to hide it. We didn't try to avoid it. We just did it because it was part of our life. That was part of growing up. So I encourage you, don't just stay away from chametz, but eat matzah. How much? Latzah matzah. That's right. Every day eat matzah. That's, that's part of it. So when, when you think about this, Passover is an important holiday. We'll touch on it briefly today, but next week we'll, we'll go more deeply into it as well as at our workshop. Passover is a very important holiday that involves hospitality. It involves celebrating with family and friends. It involves celebrating in your house. In, um, in the first Passover, think about it. Everybody celebrated Passover in their own homes or in the homes of their next door neighbors together combining in order to eat one whole roasted lamb together. There were no community seders. There was no Haggadah. In fact, there was no one who had, who had ever celebrated Passover before. So imagine if some people in ancient Egypt tried to use the excuse that I know is popular, well, I can't do this because I've never done it. I've never led a Seder. As a kid, I participated in Seders every single year, and my father had the habit of inviting guests of, of many different backgrounds, including an Episcopal priest and his family, 
and they enjoyed Passover with us, and my father had a requirement that everyone who participated, who was in any way, shape, or form able, would either read or recite or in some way contribute something to the Passover Seder. And the Episcopal priest gave a Gregorian chant as his contribution. It was the first time we ever had, it was the last time we ever had. It was the, it was the only time we had a Gregorian chant at our Passover Seder, but it was delightful. Yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And there was no escaping. My father did not allow any excuses. Everyone had to participate. But when I was 21 and um, I was married and I became a new follower of Yeshua, people around me said, will you lead us in a Passover Seder? Now I had, I had been part of Passover Seder. Even at college, I went to Passover Seders. However, I had not led one. And so I thought I could use the excuse, but, but I've never done this leading myself. And that was not acceptable uh, to the people around me. They said, well, you know more than we do, so you do it anyway. <laughs> so at that moment, I began a long history of leading Passovers and doing it in different ways. I encourage you to do something. Even if you find yourself on a, on a ship in the ocean all by yourself, do it there. Wherever you may be, doesn't the scripture say wherever you live, wherever you are, do Passover. And don't use the excuse, I don't know how to do it. You can learn to do it. Everybody who did it at the first Passover was a novice. It was no excuse for them. So you can say, ah, I'm like the first guys, the first generation. I'm learning how to do this. And you have tools and you'll have opportunities to practice and learn and get support from others. So I encourage you to participate. It does require hospitality. It does require that you prepare. It requires that you collaborate. It requires that you organize uh, food and spiritual celebration together in homes. It's very, very important. And let's say that you're all, you're all alone or you're a lonely person and no one's invited you. That's fine. You invite a few people and then you won't be alone. Don't use the excuse, no one invited me. You invite, you take time. And it can be useful even if just two or three gather together to celebrate Passover. It can be a wonderful and a useful time. So I encourage you to participate. Hospitality is essential for Passover. And I want, to, I want to introduce a concept, if I can, about hospitality that, that I think is foundational. The Lord is hospitable. How do we know? It's because he created a world that we could live in a world that was specifically designed to be comfortable for human beings. It was created with intention and purpose. How many of you believe God created the universe? And how many of you know that God created the heavens and the earth? And that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all who dwell therein. The earth belongs to the Lord. 
So God created this world, and then he created mankind to fit into the world and to live in the world. And so in a sense, he, in, he created a house for us, and he invited us into his house. That's such hospitality. And then there's another side to this that's, that's important as well. The Lord wants us to open our houses to him. He wants us to create houses like this. Build for me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them and with them. But he also wants us personally, individually, to become a house for God. He wants us to open our hearts so that he can come and live in our hearts and live inside of us. The Holy Spirit comes to us in order to take up residence in us. So God created a house for us, and now he wants us to be a house for him at the individual level, but also together. We become living stones who join together and make a house for God. So there's reciprocity. We're in God's house, and God is in our house. And then as Rabbi Yuri was sharing about the meal of Messiah, he he read earlier today from John chapter 14, which speaks also of hospitality. You can turn there, John chapter 14. Let your hearts not be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Now pay attention to this verse. I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that awesome? Do you understand the hospitality aspect to this? The Lord goes, he's returned to heaven to prepare yet another house. The earth has been prepared. Now the Lord wants to prepare an eternal house for us so that we can live with God forever. I go and prepare a house for you. And then there's another statement. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's very interesting. You know what that tells me? We're not just given an invitation to to meet God somewhere. He promises this, that he actually will come for us and he will bring us to the new place. It's an awesome expression of hospitality. Do you agree? It's one thing to say to someone, I'll meet you somewhere. It's another thing to say, I'll pick you up and we'll go together. And that's what the Lord is promising here. It's an important aspect of hospitality. Well, I wanna run through scriptures that um, describe hospitality and, and the spiritual connection. In Genesis chapter 18, we read about Abraham's hospitality to what he thought were men, He thought we're visiting angels, but it turned out it was the Lord and angels together. And Genesis 18 verse 1 starts this way. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre in the heat of the day while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent. The previous chapter, chapter 17, flows right into this chapter. In in the Torah, there really aren't chapter breaks. And so the last verse of chapter 17 is actually... Uh, contiguous with 
this verse. And the last verse of chapter 17 tells us that Abraham was circumcised. So it appears that Abraham was circumcised, and then he's waiting, he's recovering. And while he's recovering, the scripture says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. That is not really the best time for visitors. <laughs> you would think the Lord would have more concern than to come then. But, but then maybe the Lord was coming and visiting the sick, you know, or the infirmed. Maybe, maybe that's it. Well, in any case, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. And he's sitting there, and Abraham welcomes his guests. It could have gone another way. Oy vey, who are those people coming? Sarah, get the girls. Let them take care. Let the maidservants take care of him, whoever these people are. I don't even recognize them. Who are they? But rather, Abraham personally welcomed the visitors. It turned out it was the Lord and two angels. He provided a meal for them. And it was during that visit that the Lord tells Abraham and Sarah that they'll have a son by the same time next year. By being hospitable, they receive the exact word, not the word in principle, but the word concretely that they will have a son. It's so powerful. And Think of the aspects of hospitality. They welcomed the visitors and the guests. They fed people. They made them feel comfortable. They adjusted their schedule to accommodate them. They showed kindnesses to strangers. All these details are very, very important. So you can read chapter 18 for yourself. It's important to be familiar with that. Let's go to the, to the next um, the next example is the first Passover, where people were instructed to uh, join together with neighbors and family to prepare a meal together, and they were pr to prepare a whole lamb. How were they to cook that lamb? Roasted over fire. Not in the convection oven, because there were no convection ovens. Roasted lamb cooked over fire, and they were also to eat bitter herbs and matzah. Now, what about people who said, well, I don't really like lamb. It was a lamb dinner anyway. And what about the people who say, well, I like sweet things. I don't like sour or bitter. It was a night for bitter too. And what about the people who said, you know, what I really like is hot loaf of bread out of the oven with some good uh, butter. Ah, uh -uh. it's like cracker time. <laughs> it was a time for hospitality. Now, if you want to do an interesting process, you can redact the Passover Seder and the instructions that were given uh, about celebrating Passover, and redact it this way by taking your black magic marker, if you will, and marking through everything that has to do with food, and eliminate that. So that passage we read from Exodus 12 that had to do with matzah, mark through all that. The part that has to do with lamb, bitter herbs, and so forth, mark through all of that. The part that has to do with opening up your home 
and celebrating together. Mark through that as well. And then see what kind of Seder you're going to have left. It's not going to be much. When you take hospitality out of Passover, you actually have almost nothing left. Now, some people, of course, don't see that hospitality is a spiritual foundation, but it really is. Without the hospitality of Passover, without Abraham's hospitality, and without other hospitalities, spiritual things would never happen. Let's go to another example. Women who, who um, showed hospitality and got spiritual and practical blessings. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. I, I did not have that citation in my notes. I, for some reason, I forgot to, uh, to include it last night. I read from this without a citation, and I told everybody last night, you'll just have to find it on your own. I forget what book it came from. But it's 2 Kings chapter 4. And it talks about the prophet Elisha or Elisha. One day Elisha went to Shunem and a prominent woman who lived there persuaded him to have a meal. And so whenever he would pass by, he would stop there to eat. It's almost like she's a Jewish mother. You gotta eat. I, I don't wanna eat. You gotta eat. I don't wanna eat. You will eat, sit down. I'll eat. And next time come ready to eat. <laughs> And Elisha is like this good Jewish boy. Yes, ma'am. Verse 9. Then the woman said to her husband, Behold, now I know that the one who often comes our way is a holy man of God. That's actually interesting. I never thought about this. Because he would sit and eat, she says, You know, he's really holy. He likes my food. I'm not sure if that's all. But this is what she says to her husband. Please let us make a small room upstairs and put in it a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. And then when he comes to us, he can stay there. This is hospitality. Do you see it? It's the dedication of a guest room for visitors. And not just any visitor, but for the man of God. And one day, verse 11, Elisha came to visit. He went to his upper room to lie down. And he and his servant Gehazi uh, said, he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And Elisha said to Gehazi, I think Gehazi is functioning as an interpreter. I'm not exactly sure. But I think they're speaking different uh, languages. Tell her, look, you've gone to all this trouble for us. What can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. I don't need that kind of help. And so he asked, what should be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Now upon hearing that, this is a pause, upon hearing that, Elijah could have said, well, we need to comfort her. We need to just encourage her and say, oh, you're not alone, you know, God is with you, or to say some kind of nicety, or, you know, to, to pray that her heart will be healed of any emptiness. You know the ways that people can act when they see someone in need? They pray for comfort about the need rather than a solution that removes the need from the future. 
She has no son. Her husband is old. Elisha says, call her. So Gehazi called her, and she stood in the doorway, and Elisha declared, at this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. And she said, no way. Don't lie to your maidservant, O man of God. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. But, verse 17, the woman did conceive. And at that time the next year, she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her. Imagine, if you can, the connection in her mind between her hospitality and receiving a son. It's a direct connection. That's how the story is told in Torah. Without that hospitality, she would have just continued her life as it had been. Now here's another example. It's from 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah, who was the mentor of Elisha, is the key figure here, along with the widow at Zarephath, 1 Kings 17. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, and the word of the Lord came to Elisha, go at once to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, and stay there. Now look at this. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Go to a widow. She'll feed you. And so he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she answered, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Yeah, another Jewish mother it looks like, but she's from Zarephath, not from Israel. Yeah, we're gonna eat this and then we're gonna die. Poor, broke, out of food, out of resources, out of money. And Elijah, verse 13 says, eh, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. <laughs> Go home, make, make some bread, eat it and die, it's fine. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. <laughs> And then make something with what's left for yourself and your son. Now, if you were in the middle of this and you didn't know how it was going to end, and you wouldn't if you were in the middle of it, you could think Elijah is, is uh, exploitative and abusive, right? You could think that the worst of him. But don't understand this. The Lord directed him, and he directed him specifically to this widow, and he directed him to this widow in her insufficiency so that she could provide for him. So you may say, well, then the Lord is exploitative. 
but actually it's, there's no exploitation going on. It's something altogether different. Make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away, and she did as Elijah had told her, and so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Isn't that awesome? The Lord used that woman's willingness to be hospitable, to, to be the condition, together with the word that he sent through Elijah that provided for her and ended her problem rather than just comforted her. Sometimes we think of comfort and compassion as just making people feel emotionally better. But in these cases, that's not what God was wanting to do. He wanted to remove the problem that caused the trouble. But he did it in unconventional ways. But what was common to both, and what was common to Passover, and what was common to Abraham and Sarah, is it happened because of hospitality. Without hospitality, none of these things would happen. And that's why we'll read just a few more scriptures that wrap up this idea. From Hebrews chapter 13, verse two, it says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, during, doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, Yeshua says, he who receives you receives me, and, who, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Whoever receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. Do you see the connection between those and, and the widow at Zarephath and the Shunammite? And then verse 42, so interesting. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will never lose his reward. Isn't that awesome? Just by showing hospitality to a kid who's thirsty because you're a disciple, the Lord says, you know what? That gives you a security you can't even imagine because of how the Lord connects spirituality and hospitality. A few more verses, Isaiah 58, seven, which speaks of uh, Yom Kippur and fasting, the purpose of this fast. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your home, and to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? It's not just about going through religious motions. There's purpose in it. Matthew 25, 35, Yeshua himself says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. And the people who hear that say, well, when did we do this? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers. 
you did it for me. Do you see how important hospitality is in the eyes of the Lord? Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Share with the saints who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Earlier this year, we were going to uh, do some work updating our guest bathroom and another bathroom in our house. And we had it pretty much lined up, but one day the Holy Spirit showed Sandy that we would be receiving certain guests and we needed those bathrooms in place, so we had to reschedule. And Sandy showed me the list of who they were. It was like the Lord said, when you were ironing sheets, I think. She was ironing sheets. And the Holy Spirit said, the next one who's going to sleep on these sheets is this. And the one after is this. And the one after is this. And none of them were planning to come to see us. But soon enough, we started hearing from these people. And each one of them, two rabbis and their wives and one rabbitson came and they stayed in our house, and they needed the bathrooms. And so it was an act of hospitality. It was incredible sensitivity. Had we done the work on our schedule, it would not have been possible to receive them. So that was awesome, Sandy, that, that you heard from the Lord and were hospitable to those people. And because they stayed in our home, we were able to minister to them in very important ways and to give them something that we couldn't give any other way. And we also received encouragement and strength and blessing from the Lord by having them as guests and friends and, uh, and spiritual people in our house. It really is important to be hospitable. We're gonna talk more about hospitality as it relates to Passover next week, and as it relates, as I said, to the spiritual life of this congregation. And we'll look at the details of what it means to be hospitable. It's not just food, it's receiving people with a certain attitude. It's paying attention to needs and making people feel comfortable. It's having a certain welcoming position in your hearts. And so this is an important time, and it will help us, I think, in the weeks, the months, and the years ahead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your provision for us. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you that you're hospitable to us. We want to reciprocate being hospitable to you and to all you send our way. We pray that we would have open hearts in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So please rise as we prepare to close the service. And I want to invite you again to come on Wednesday, 6.30 in the Shalom Center for our uh, Passover workshop. If you're standing by yourself, if you don't mind moving just a little bit so you're not by yourself, that would be great. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.